Welcome to the Court of Owls podcast. I'm Comic Girl 4658. That's right, we're numbered. And I'm here with Joe and Muse. Hello! We're a comic podcast that uploads weekly. You can check the show notes for which comics we'll be covering this week and their timestamps, so you can skip over those titles if it's something you haven't read yet or aren't interested in reading. To start off, we'll be covering comics from our long box. Basically, we'll be covering any Trinity titles and the Justice League title. Muse will also cover any Marvel stories that she feels were pretty important this week. I'm going to start off with Joe. I know that you read Superman 21. Yeah, I did. I would like to say good things. I always wish I could say good things about Superman because he is my favorite. But Superman 21 was written by Brian Michael Bendis. Art was by Ivan Reyes and Joe Prado. Basically, to sum up what happened, uh, Mongol revealed his plan of destroying the United Planets and Lois is freaking out by being called the Queen of the what? Earth. Little question right there. Is this actual Mongol? Or is this the son of Mongol that killed his father Mongol before him? Who killed his father <laughs> Mongol before him? Which we last spoke about in Superman Villains number one. Anyway, Clark was trying to continue helping these people stop their fighting after Mongol basically drove a knife through the United Planets by having them all fight each other. Superman brings Mongol away from them, he finishes it off. Mongol kind of laughs. He's like, this is exactly what I wanted to happen. Everything to get destroyed in front of your eyes. And then he disappears. And the Justice League comes and helps repair the damage that happened on this alien planet and save these alien citizens and they all tell clark that he needs to go back to earth because he left a hurricane in his wake by taking care of this united planet stuff and what has been happening random video footage of when the united planets was first formed somehow got sent to earth and that clip shows clark stating that he is speaking on behalf of the earth for the united planets Everybody is taking it out of proportion, saying that Superman declared himself the king of the earth and that he is just speaking for us, for these aliens that nobody knows anything about, for this organization that nobody mm -hmm. knows anything about. That's basically what Lois is having to deal with now. And the first thing right off the bat that annoyed me to no end, Lois is at the Daily Planet. She's on the phone with a reporter inside. She said Daily Star had found my writing hole. So I might as well come home because they ambushed her at her hotel in Chicago about this video stating, is your husband the king of the earth? Why is he calling himself that? This is like tabloid stuff. Uh, it's just. Yeah. And she even says, she's like, really? Ambush reporting? This is the best okay, she can ambushed do? People. Yeah, she has. <laughs> and that's exactly what the reporter says. But hold her feet to the fire. That's what good journalists do. <laughs> but. Is this really all it took for Lois to come back to Metropolis? Reporters found out where she lived. She had several reporters at her hotel many times throughout this entire thing. She's had Lex Luthor at, at this hotel. She's had Superman. She's had Clark. She's had detectives. She's had the FBI. She's had <laughs> so many people at this fucking hotel. But this is what does it? Getting an ambush interview? Maybe Bendis is just... He realized it was sort of a dead end to have her holed up in a hotel. Yeah, and just gave a stupid reason, just 
once again, like, oh, my little sanctuary away from all of this, like, my husband and the responsibilities of being a mother await my sons in the 31st century doesn't matter. I'm just going to sit in this hotel room and write my <laughs> book like a lonely, creepy person. And call my husband whenever I need him. For inspiration. Inspiration. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I could have done more. At that point, like, just get a divorce. Like, if you're that stuck for content, because, like, the content we got, the payoff wasn't worth it. It was just really boring events happening around her and her forced solitude, her self-quarantine. <laughs> but it's also very confusing because she has been back and forth from Chicago to Metropolis over the span of several issues, over the span of several different comic events. During Superman's coming out as Clark Kent, during Event Leviathan, she has been in Metropolis for these things. Why not just stay there instead of somehow always finding a way to get back to Chicago and affording to pay this travel and the hotel room? I know you're thinking about that because you do so much travel. (laughs) You're just like, that's so expensive. She's wasting money. Where is she getting the money from? (laughs) Like you said, like before, she's on a reporter's salary. She doesn't make that much. Probably enough to live a little bit above the comfortable level. Even with a couple of words and books under her belt, she still wouldn't be making that much. I mean, maybe if she's traveling for work, she could expense it or something. But she's not. She quit the Daily Planet, quote-unquote, to go write her book. Who's your sponsor for the book? We must follow this money trail. Who's sponsoring Lois Lane? <laughs> My newest expose. I did want to just bring up, though, um, Bendis. Is it okay to call him a horse? I'm going to call him a horse. I mean, I'll call him anything under the sun, except a good writer. Look how angry this man is. It's hilarious. Look what he's driven him to. <laughs> I remember when Bendis first got in this run, I was like, oof, that's going to be rough. And he was like, ah, I've never heard anything bad about him. I'm going to give him a chance. Well, I never even heard of him to begin with. I never even knew the name Brian Michael Bendis until <laughs> I heard that he was taking on Young Justice. I wasn't even reading Superman at the time when he just started writing it. One friend of mine told me, I should be excited because his Spider-Man run was really, really good. And I had three people tell me no because his X-Men title was awful. Mm-hmm. We, we apologize ahead of time. I think this entire episode is mostly just going to be trashing on Bendis. Because <laughs> we had two Bendis titles, so... I will not be alone in it. But yes, go back to what you were saying. Lee. Oh, right. Sorry. Um, What was I saying? I was talking about Bendis and like his choices. So he made some really bold choices. And it seems to be his MO where he will... He'll write himself into a corner. And it's an obvious corner because it has all these like cliffhangers. And there's always like, wait and see. Maybe next week you'll figure out what's going on. And then it's like, look over there, quick. Okay, we're going to return to status quo before anyone notices that this entire subplot was for nothing. And the thing is, if you're mm-hmm. going to have something traumatic like that, like common sense, like there's just the, the natural expectation from the reader is that you're doing it to tease something out of the main character. So the main character's son grew up very quickly and appeared a much older person. That's, like we've said, it was unbelievable that someone who had been tortured and left in isolation for all those years would be like this happy, oh, I am back from summer vacation. I learned nothing and changed in no way at all, but now I'm older. No, that's not how that works. But like you'd expect, at least on Superman's part, for him to be traumatized, to be like grappling with stuff. When Mm -hmm. your wife tells you she's leaving you, but we can still be friends with benefits, you don't just go, "Eh, I guess that sounds cool. You would react in an emotional breakdown 
it would be like your darkest days. Everything's been taken from you. You'd you'd see a different Superman. You'd see him do things, and you would take the story. Well, here's a the new thing way. with that too. I just want to add on to that tidbit. So that took place in I think first issues of Action Comics, or it took place in the Man of Steel book that came out before Bendis's beginning runs with Action Comics and Superman. Bendis has this other tactic where if he doesn't know how to write a situation to go into the place that he wants it to go he will skip it all (laughs) and then just cut right into the after effects where it shows exactly what he wants to happen so with all that stuff clark was very against lois and john going with jor-el into space he's like no i'm not having it this isn't working we know what type of man this guy is i know he's my father but still and instead of showing him leading up to that resolve it just cuts to him and lois saying goodbye floating in the middle of metropolis yeah that's real dumb and it's really like it's super demeaning to your audience that you think that they're just that stupid that they would be like i don't know that they just wouldn't notice that they wouldn't ask questions that they would follow it Mm -hmm. through all that because that kind of stuff makes you stop in the middle and pulls you right out like wait a minute what it's very like a one-sided type of like comic viewer like do you care about the words and the emotional impacts of these characters or do you just want to see heroes fighting villains i think that's why i jump from tomasi's domestic very character driven Mm -hmm. stories most of it was about the family dynamics them being together then jumping straight to bendis's just mm, just all about superman and no character and just kind of plot mostly a story without any character whatsoever and when it's jumped off of man of steel yeah he kind of mentions like my wife and son aren't here but he's like it doesn't matter i have a communicator with them <laughs> and, okay uh, but just a bunch of other like just mischaracterizations as well like even during john's five issues that i took him to explain where he's been you're seeing mischaracterizations of ultraman Mm-hmm. Like, is this leader of the crime syndicate really going to be gross sobbing to this kid that he's trapped in a volcano for three years and then flying away crying? <laughs> Connor. <laughs> it's horribly out of character. And, you know, again, Lois and whatever the hell she's doing. One of the main things still to me is, like, you know, the fact that she went back to Earth and she didn't tell her husband. Instead, she's walking outside of her hotel room in Chicago with a wig so that her husband can't spot her. (sighs) Listen, this is a great plan if you ever go with the dark Superman where you're like, oh, how do you break up with a guy who could, like, you know, laser eye your face? Like, this is a great escape plan. Like, I could totally see how in the early days of dating she might have planned this all out, but (laughs) it doesn't make any sense in the established context of these characters. But yeah, I'm sorry. We we went on a rant here. So was that kind of like the majority of the story? I mean, pretty much. The majority of the story was a lot of Lois trying to deal with this news all of a sudden and not knowing where this source of this video footage came from of Superman calling himself, you know, he speaks on behalf of the Earth. She never hears the full clip. He never directly said, I am the king of the Earth. He said, I will speak on behalf of the Earth. And, you know, just like general media, they will cut some things out to make it work in their favor of how they want to portray it. But even if they do cut it out, like, so many of the heroes have said that. I mean, you kind of have to when you're the only representative of the Earth there. Well, here's my reasoning for that. Like, this is why I think the whole fiasco is stupid. Like, is Superman going to fly back, speak to the United Nations, and say... 
Hey. Um, I have a really important gathering of a bunch of different alien races right now. This is the first time this is ever happening. We need an ambassador for Earth. Who wants to join in? Do you want me to do it because I can get there? Or do you want to take a couple years to build a rocket ship and then send it over there? Where they'll probably all be in war. It's like we could use the Green Lanterns, but uh, they're busy doing other things. So... And I think they're also one of those weird things where they can't participate in stuff like that because they're like, we're neutral parties. Right. Right. We're just overseers mm -hmm. and protectors. We don't go into the politics at all. My confusion with this whole thing is, once again, if you're going to have, if you're going to have a tempest in a teapot, what you need to do is have a reason. It needs to have a larger purpose. It can't just be, yeah, in this issue, everyone hates Superman. What? Well, the whole reason behind this whole United Planets thing, like, this is a thing that was in the 31st century. And it was just all this fighting back and forth between these races. And then it's supposed to just be John's idea to create the United Planets so that the Legion of Superheroes can have a reason to show up and then start that whole run. Mm. That's kind of interesting. Just kind of like this is one of those major important things that affects the future of the Legion, which I find fascinating. But mm -hmm. but then it also gets confusing because Clark was never a part of the Legion of Superheroes in this instance. So this is like, he's just meeting these kids. He's like, oh, and who are you guys? They're like, oh, we know you, Superman. We're actually here for your son. And so John becomes like the Superboy that joined the Legion of Superheroes. Whereas you also have Doomsday Clock where Clark remembers Saturn Girl. He remembers Lightning Lad and all the other Legionnaires and being a part of them. And I'm also pretty sure that in the Fortress during Bendis' run, Clark has a Legion ring I think in he does. the Fortress. Yeah. Or it was Tomasi's run, but either way, he had a Legion ring mm -hmm. in the Fortress. Because <laughs> if this is at least pre-boot Clark Kent, then yes, he was a part of the Legion. Even though this might not be his Legion, because of it being an alternate reality, um, he at least knows who they are. He at least will be like, oh, I know who you are. And they'd be like, how do you know of us? We know of you. You're Superman. How do you know us? And it's like, well, I knew you from another Earth. And they'd be like, oh, well, that exactly. makes sense because we have advanced technology. We have access to this stuff. They were kind of going more with that type of storyline in the beginning of DC Rebirth because that's what Clark and Wally bonded over. Like, hey, if you ever need to talk now that you're back, you can come over and talk to me on the farm because we're the only two here that remember everything as it was. And that was like a whole big bonding thing. Then you had Doomsday Clock, and then you also had the Superman Reborn arc where they merged the New 52 and pre-Flashpoint storylines into one to try and, like, make all of this. Okay, so New 52 is on World 52. This is still technically the pre-Flashpoint Earth. And this is where it gets so very confusing. Like, wait, they remember these things, but they don't remember this. They remember this person, but they don't remember that person, even though it happened at the same time. Well, you can fanboy out all you want. I mean, I think the honest-to-God truth is just that these inconsistencies are accidents, and Bendis doesn't read. Yeah, well, I think it's also a very clear point, too, in the fact that nobody has referenced any of Bendis' things more than, I want to say, twice so far, to my knowledge. And it was one panel in the Justice League at the end of Snyder's run, and then just in this recent Wonder Woman issue that I'll get into when we talk about that. But to my knowledge, those are the only two titles since Bendis has been around that have referenced Bendis' work. Mm. Aside from the whole Superman identity reveal, because that's such a major thing that they have to plug that into everything. Right. But yeah, that was my rant about Superman 21. <laughs> and I'm sorry you all had to listen to it. <laughs> I don't read Wonder Woman. I have 
been into Wonder Woman lately as a concept. I'm very excited for the movies. But whenever I pick up a Wonder Woman comic and flip through it, I'm like, well, don't know what's happening here. Bye. <laughs> Just put it back. It's really hard to put a pin on it about like what's going on because I also jumped into that story arc kind of like, not even ha- like a little over halfway through G. Willow Wilson's run on it. And now Steve Orlando is getting a couple issues in, but he actually is leaving DC. Which really? I'll talk about more of that in part two. Okay. I can't wait. Can't wait for his new Ew. story. How dare you? <laughs> Wonder Woman is getting a new writer. I think Mariko Tamaki. Tamaki. I hope I'm saying that correctly. If not, I apologize. But yeah. So a lot of these things, like they kind of feel like filler, but also leading up to something. So with Wonder Woman, it was written by Steve Orlando and the art was by Max Rainer. Max Rainer is a great artist, by the way. I, I really do enjoy his art. I forget the colorist. I should really start writing who the colorist is because they're also really good but from last issue wonder woman and this woman called iron maiden who was lost in time they find this mechanical beast that she was fighting that was also lost in time and it cuts to them fighting that while paula van gunther who is a descendant of nazis and valkyries became known as leviathan's war master is recruiting more women to her cause to defeat wonder woman because she blames Wonder Woman for all her problems. I don't know if we spoke about this on the podcast, but I explained it a little while ago back during the Wonder Woman annual where they released Van Gunther's origin where she was adopted, she was saved by Wonder Woman, she idolized Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman oversaw her whole life pretty much. Her even becoming an agent of Argus and working with this special program and then event leviathan happens argus gets shut down she finds her actual origin where she was descendant of nazis and all these things against the amazons and she blamed diana for never telling her this because diana knew and Leviathan used that to his advantage to recruit Van Gunther, who he called his war master and she is recruiting her four horse women to defeat diana so <laughs> What I did like is in Steve Orlando's runs, he does actually have a really good voice for Diana being more vocal instead of physical, using more of, you know, I'm going to talk you down instead of having to fight you. So she made Iron Maiden vow never to strike another mortal with her sword in this present time, and also showing her how important it is to make sure nobody else can get hurt before dealing with a threat. Because when Iron Maiden first showed up, she killed a man in a bar because she was in a strange time in a strange place and she's treating the threats as she would in her current time but she ended up sacrificing herself because that's what diana kind of taught her is like you know putting others before yourself and so they got lost in time this boston pd agent that has been on top of diana's ass since like the beginning of steve orlando's run is like what the hell are you doing you told me to trust you but now our suspect escaped she killed a man diana like what are we supposed to do and diana's like well what are we supposed to do hold her by a jury of her peers that are centuries of years old like she needs to get held accountable in her own time not by our rules and then the cop is like well i guess oh my gosh but i'm i'm watching you oh no dude i would not have if i was that cop i'd be like no 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 a jury of the peers of the man who was slain in this time she killed someone here diana we're gonna try her here. She's gonna go to prison <laughs> she was here. Doing that. <laughs> and then she's gonna get the needle, Diana. <laughs> I mean. But the one thing I didn't like, and what I was just saying in the Superman rant, Diana is back at home in her apartment. She's like 
putting up her armor and stuff like that. And she mentions Donna's name. She mentions Steve Trevor's name. And then she mentions Cassie's name. Hmm. This is the first time Diana has mentioned Cassie all these yeah. years since pre-Flashpoint. And according to Bendis, she's existed in this universe, but... Yeah, which, again, like, how is this possible? Why is this going on so... I kind of wanted to see it like Steve Orlando's last attempt to like, oh, maybe we can connect these things. Oh, by the way, I'm leaving. (laughs) But that was it, really. I mean, Warmaster recruited another horsewoman to her cause to fight Diana. Somebody that was tested on by their father with ogre blood. So she considers herself an abomination. Hmm. Warmaster calls her Armageddon. And so now you have Warmaster... Armageddon and this other woman called Devastation, who is an immortal 13-year-old that was raised to be the exact opposite of Diana. So she always loses, or what's going on there? (laughs) Honestly, couldn't remember. I just, I'm sorry. There are some tropes we need to retire permanently, and one of them is the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I never (laughs) want to hear another comic book villain go you know what this needs we need the four horsemen i'm gonna pick four random people and we're going to reference the bible together because even though i am not a judeo-christian villain i would like to larp the bible please and that just so the best too and i just is when it's aliens referencing like four horses. that usually makes no sense like okay you have that with marvel you have apocalypse okay he predates anything and he's like the four horsemen of the apocalypse were based off of me and you're like okay that's kind of cool okay but i mean like when you have dark side trying to reference four horsemen which i'm pretty sure has I'm pretty been certain done. but I, the apocalypse i think is the only one who can continue being like these are my four horsemen because th- that's just apocalypse that's his whole shtick and especially doing it this year, you're like, yeah, we get it. You saw Good Omens. We all did. Like, please. <laughs> it's It happened so recently. We all are tired. I'm speaking for everyone. I speak for Earth. We're tired of the Four Horsemen. <laughs> you know what else I'm tired of? I'm tired of the creation story. Listen, I love it. We all love it. We get it. Adam and Eve. I'm not going to review Mother, but like, I keep seeing this trip where people are like, we're going to reference Lilith. We're going to reference Adam and Eve in our fictional characters who really have nothing to do with that. Or it's just so unnecessary. And it's like... Well, especially with Diana, because Greek mythology over the Judeo-Christianity... I mean, I could go into, like, the Greek mythology tropes that have been done to death. But, like, sometimes I just want to be like, can you create a new story? I mean, I get that lots of people believe that all the stories have been done, but they haven't. That's a lie. You can make up new stuff. You don't have to reference old stuff. You can make up new characters and not link them to anything. Let other people draw their own conclusions. It's kind of going back to, like, beating a dead horse. Because <laughs> you're just going to keep using these great stories that we know worked in the past. But not even subtly. You have to use the same terminology. You have to hold people's hands and make them look and be like, look, it's just like that story, but with different aesthetics. It's like, it's an, you can definitely do that, but you can't use it as, like, a template and just draw over it. You have to add something new. Can you copy my homework? <laughs> Yeah, just make sure it doesn't look exact. (laughs) There it is. That is exactly what I'm asking. That's all I want. So, Muse, what's been going on in Marvel? So, X-Men issue 8 came out. Of course, it's still being written by Jonathan Hickman. And do not ask me to pronounce these artists' names. I don't want to butcher people's names. I apologize. I'll do it. Let me see. Mahmoud 
Azrar Leniel Francisio. His name's popped up a couple times actually in Marvel. I I'm realize. pretty certain Mohamed has been the auth artist for X Men since issue one. But Francis Yu has been like the main kind of artist. Yeah. So this issue is your typical X Men issue, and this time it was focusing on the New Mutants who have come back from space and they've brought something intergalactic with them that they probably shouldn't have. Congrats, Wolf Spain. You uh, done fucked up. I love her though, but probably not the smartest thing to grab a egg from space. <laughs> I already love it. Gen Z kids not watching these classics. <laughs> so we have the Brood, the Shi'ar, Starjammers, kind of, and the Imperial Shi'ar Guard and some other guests involved in this. I really enjoyed that we're finally acknowledging that what happened to Gabriel Summers, also known as Vulcan, after his apparent death in The Fault, which was this apparently this huge event that happened a while ago. I didn't know much about it. I had to go do some research. But it mentioned Vulcan, Black Bolt, and well-known Imperial Guard Shi'ar person. They were involved in something to do with like this huge event. Vulcan kind of went a bit power hungry and was like, I am King Vulcan of the Shi'ar and attacked the Inhumans because they were involved with the Kree. Giant space-time wormhole thing sucked him and Black Bolt in and they were gone. Well, he was apparently dead, wasn't, and we don't know how him or Black Bolt even survived, but since then he's been having a reoccurring dream and having drinking problems to cope with all of this. So he's got some pretty bad PTSD and isn't really talking to anyone about this. I kind of feel bad for him, seeing as all the stuff that's going on, and Scott's not the most comforting, and neither is Havoc, so poor guy. I'm hoping to maybe see a little bit more of this, because he's not the only mutant that's dealt with some issues. I like where Hickman's going with this, like there's a lot of these interesting plot holes with certain mutants. I also like that they showed a wide range of other mutants, like the new mutants, especially Brew. I was very happy about seeing our little brood mutant. Please tell me a little bit about brood because I had no idea. And first I see this panel of parasite creatures and then I see one dressed up in a business suit and glasses. And I'm like, what is going on here? So I don't know too much about brew. I just know a little bit from some YouTube videos that I've seen about him, but very similar to Namor. Namor isn't inherently human. He's Atlantean, but he is an Atlantean mutant. And Brew is a mutant of the Brood, that hive mind, destroy everything, creatures that the Shi'ar pretty much just like shooting because they're easy targets. He is hyper intelligent and is very empathetic. So he was a mutant and was seen as a runt and was kicked out. So he found solace on Earth with the rest of mutants. So there's alien <laughs> There mutants, are alien mutants. Along yes. with human mutants. Majority of them, I think, are humans because it's pretty heavily implied that the human mutants have gotten the X gene through the atomic bomb. So, yep. But right. there are mutants that exist outside of Earth, but Earth has the highest concentration of mutants because of this. Okay. Because I always thought it was kind of like maybe because I'm so stuck in D.C., Kind of like all the Martians mm -hmm. being telepaths. But he's a mutant. I don't know if there's any other alien mutants out there. The only ones that I can think of that aren't human are Namor and Brew. Thankfully, he was there. The main focus was Wolfsbane brought back this 
thing called the king's egg and it brought the brood to earth because they're trying to search for this thing scott uses the little teleporters to get it out to the moon they're like we gotta deal with this somehow because we can't have them on earth and they want this we also see scenes from Cree accuser ship that uh, is talking to some mutant that i had no idea who it is if anyone knows please pretty sure he was in the the new mutants comic he was one of the ones that went to space he was like this rich like pompous asshole guy i think his name was gabriel also i think or gabe i thought i said bobby on there and i'm like well that's not that's not Iceman. I don't know. He was talking to Cree person, and then we eventually go to see the Shi'ar because they apparently got word that there was a Cree accuser in their space. So maybe this is a little bit of a prelude and introduction to the Empire event that's going to be hitting Marvel in April. Because we are seeing uh, X-Men are going to be having their own little issues that are dealing with the events of this. So this might be a prelude Mm -hmm. of it. I don't know. Unfortunately, like most of the X-Men issues before this. This one did feel more about like a just an extra new mutants Mm -hmm. issue just on the X-Men title. I don't like or dislike X-Men. I feel like X-Men isn't the one that you should be reading like how Avengers it's like this is Avengers here's a main Avengers plot and it's doing its thing X-Men it's mostly just supplemental material the other series are more important X-Men just fills in the gaps really not much of a standalone there's not a cohesive storyline as many of the other series that are ongoing I really don't know why I'm still reading it honestly because like you just said I don't necessarily like it and I don't necessarily dislike it it's just kind of there Maybe we get two issues that actually work together, but most of them, sometimes the reader needs to be up to date with all of the titles to actually really understand what's going on, because like Joe mentioned, the one mutant that the Cree accuser ship was talking to is someone from the New Mutants that I didn't know about. I didn't know who he was. I had said that in the beginning, too, about how like it feels like they're all interconnected, plus like they have the reading order there for a reason. I know in the beginning we thought maybe it was just, like suggestive reading but order. But I think it's an actual reading order, because a lot of... yeah. And I'm worried that the plot's just going to go nowhere. It's just going to be mostly supplemental stuff. Uh, We've had other stories that have been brought up, like things that they could go down the rabbit hole of and explore, and they just aren't. Like Arako, which was the weird extra bit of the island that attached itself to Krakoa. The horticulture geriatric ladies who stole plants from the mutants how did they get tech to get through like there's so many questions this seraphina girl and the vault issue like x23 sync i think is what it was at least darwin they're all missing like they're in this extra dimensional vault there's so many things going on I can understand maybe the horticulture plotline is going to connect with Marauders because that is their supply. And we did see Sebastian Shaw show up. In one of the most recent Marauders issues, they hinted that Madripoor had gotten a hold of a contaminated version of mutant plant purposefully defective that's going to hurt humanity and be seen as, oh, the mutants are trying to purposefully attack us this could connect to the horticulture ladies like they got their hands on it they're smart like they mentioned in the backstory for them that they were horticulturalist their entire thing was with pharmaceuticals and with the mutant drugs now they're out of a job so a lot of these are definitely going to connect with like new mutants marauders haven't seen much with excalibur kind of the weird apocalypse arakoa thing but i really don't know what the purpose of x-men is right now (laughs) 
it just definitely seems like filler. A lot of these things, it feels like so many words and nothing going anywhere. But a lot of people are praising Hickman's work with the X-Men because he's building this whole omnibus of information. Yes. And like, I get it. That's awesome. I would love the same thing in DC, I'm sure. But I think I'm just not liking it as much as most people are because I'm just hopping on the Marvel bandwagon. So I know nothing. And this is my starting point here. I started reading Marvel with this current Hickman run. So I'm so very lost and confused with all this stuff. I'm kind of reading this stuff in hopes to get some more answers about like what's going on. Eventually, because unlike with Bendis, there was this hope of Bendis. And <laughs> at the same time, a lot of people are like, don't trust him. A lot of the like the really well-known Marvel people are like, don't trust him. Yeah, he did Miles and he did Jessica Jones but he's done Ironheart and a really bad X-Men run like there's a lot of and Daredevil like there's been a lot that he just butchered but Hickman actually has a very good track record so I'm a little more hopeful the way they're explaining it too is like so like when Hickman does eventually like get off the X-Men title it's more of like a definite world building where he can just bring all these information like even like just a stack of files that he's had in like his many issues and be like all right future writer here you go here's everything i've built like take what you want but this is yeah. what i've set up and i know that him and the other writers do meet regularly because teeny was in a photo one of the other authors posted i don't know which one it was posted a photo of like her himself and someone was getting like food from like a buffet table and they're just sitting in a conference room it's like the x-men crew getting together and planning stuff out so you're like okay they actually metropolis society is looking over there like why can't we do that guys <laughs> x-men's just like so they, they definitely are working together and they know what they're they're talking about they're definitely communicating because you can see all of their stories are actually very interconnected with one mm -hmm. another and i haven't really seen too many inconsistencies with characters being in certain runs and at different times compared to like oh tim's off in another dimension oh buddy's in tom king's run of batman well even i think v told me about when he was doing a reddit q a and they mentioned the superman revealing himself as clark kent he's like oh yeah greg really enjoyed that he came storming into my office when he heard of she doesn't even tell people, like, okay, but yeah, X-Men's just kind of there. If you want more information about the X-Men, mostly you want to keep up with the heck Scott Summers is doing, or read X-Men, because it's mostly the Scott show. The few times that we see him, because most of these issues I've read of X-Men, he's not really in. But that's X-Men. In the meantime, Joe, would you like to tell us about all the DC comics that came out this week? I would love to. We have the Aquaman Giant number three. We have the Batman's Grave number six. For Black Label, we have the Dollhouse Family number five. We have the Green Lantern season two, issue two. That's another title I don't know why I'm reading. It's so hard to read. Grant Morrison's wording is just so, like, so lengthy, and it sounds a lot of talking about Oof. nothing. It just doesn't really make sense. Then we also have Ruby number six and the Terrifics number 26. Awesome. Well, hopefully it'll pick up next week. Um, <laughs> hopefully. Who can see the future? Um. <laughs> I hear the fluttering of wings on the horizon. I will be free! Oh my gosh. Her resident Robin fangirl is losing her mind. <laughs> Uh, okay, in the meantime, switching over to Marvel. 
<laughs> Muse, what came out this week? Uh, even though I only covered X-Men, we had a lot more titles come out from Marvel. But we had The Amazing Spider-Man 41, Avengers 32. The first issue of The Cable Run came out. Mm. Uh, Gwen Stacy 2, Mortal Hulk 32, Jessica Jones Blind Spot number 5. Which is great. I still suggest that you should pick that up and read it. This story arc just finished. I thought it was going to end after this, but it's getting an issue 6. So I'm excited for that. Leah Williams is the writer forget where I've seen her name before, but she's pretty good. I like it. All right. We also have Nebula number two. Of course, New Mutants number nine, which might have a bit more to tie into what is going on in X-Men. Maybe. We have a bunch of Star Wars. We have the first issue of Bounty Hunters. Bounty Hunters. I want to read that Is that so about badly. Boba Fett? It's, um, I don't know. I think it's just going to be tales about m- multiple Bounty Hunters. Boba could be Django, could be the Mandalorian. We can hope. <laughs> I'm excited either way. All right. Darth Vader number two. Rise of Kylo Ren number four. Symbiote Spider-Man Alien Reality number four. Thor number four. And Venom 24. Really good stuff at the end there. I didn't know that Cable just came out. I I went to, I got some stuff from the comic store. I got Gwen Stacy. I got Bounty Hunters. I did not see Venom and I did not see Jessica Jones or cable. Hey guys, thank you for listening to part one. Stay tuned for a word from our sponsor, and we will be back with more of this week's comics. Do you wish Superman would just die? I do. That's why I decided to apply to LexCorp Leaders of Tomorrow program. As an intern, I've gained valuable hands-on experience and training from skilled professionals in one of the fastest-growing Fortune 500 companies on Earth. While the work is challenging and unpaid, you build relationships and work habits that will help in almost any field of choice alongside other professionals dedicated to a world without Superman. And the culture here is fantastic. A 24-hour self-serve cafeteria and juice bar, a state-of-the-art on-campus gym, and a lead-encased green room underground just for program members to hang out, shoot pool, and discuss our plans for a utopia where Superman has been atomized beyond any hope of resurrection. Apply online. Application deadline is April 15. Hello and welcome back to part two. This is where we cover all the titles in our short boxes from DC, Marvel, Image, Dark Horse, and more. I'm going to talk about Catwoman. So, as you all know, Joel Jones is my girl. I have slowly been thinking of her as less of my girl and more as my enemy. <laughs> um, she's kind of thrown in the towel with this story. Like, it started out long-winded, which was fine, because she was doing this beautiful art, and it was very distracting from the story. I mean, it wasn't distracting in a way like that it made the story like hard to follow. It's just that the story was moving really slowly. But it was fine, because you understood that she's, like, building to something. She wasn't building to anything, guys. That was the plot twist. There was nothing at the end of that rainbow. We've been lost, kicking our heels, 40 years in the desert with this one. And the new artist is Fernando Blanco, who draws like he has a sharpie in his fist and also copies and pastes panels that shouldn't be copied and pasted. It's very odd. If you've been following along with Catwoman, you know that there is a zombie apocalypse happening in California. Not because of any of the other zombie outbreaks from other DC plot lines. No, no, this is a different one. This one comes from, and there were a bunch of things happening at the same time, one of them being the Lazarus Pits of California, which I still am not um, completely on board with, that there's just randomly forever been Lazarus Pits in California and nobody discovered them. 
but apparently they're easy to find. I don't know, anyways, we're just going with it. We're just riding that wave. So we start off with her fighting zombies. She goes and has to fight Creel. She's just fallen so far. She, originally, she was this horrifying shell of a woman who wore like prosthetics and tons of makeup and a wig, and it kind of was like a, a symbol of her inside that was all decayed because she was the kind of person who would marry men or seduce men. And then she is now, she's sort of nothing. She's just this hag lady who wants everyone to be zombies so that they'll worship her. Apparently, she thinks the zombies will follow her every order which turns out not to be the case. Shocker. But she's completely out of her mind. So Catelyn goes to deal with her. She takes out Creel's two evil henchmen right away. It's the detective who's been hassling Catelyn this whole time. And it's her son, her youngest son, that she's been using as like a pet on the leash for the longest time. So Catelyn kills them both. She goes to defeat Creel, although we don't really know how she's going to do it. And I assume she doesn't want to kill her. She goes up, she talks to her, and she starts monologuing. She has this big, long monologue about one score she tried to get early in her career, but she had her current haircut. So, I don't know. Plus the effect, like, she's like, let me tell you a story. Once upon a time, oh wait, let me backtrack. That kind of cutesy narration doesn't fit what we're used to. Before, it was so sleek. It was so, let me show you, not tell you. But now it's like, (laughs) no, let me go back. My mom and my dad, they had me. And my life is pretty awesome. Well, she she had this whole thing worked out. She, she's talking about it. She's like, my mom, dad, it all came back to me when I tried to rob this one woman that she'd seen earlier in a restaurant getting a ring from her husband. It's just this old couple and they were in love and they had a big family. And Catelyn was really jealous because she wants to have a family now. And it's kind of came out of nowhere because this hasn't been anywhere in her development this whole series. And now she's suddenly like... I just really want a big family. I want people to love me. This whole life of crime, it's not fulfilling. I could never be happy with my baubles like this woman was with this ring her husband gave her. It's just very sappy. And then telling this all to Creel and she's like, if you listen up, you might learn something. I'm just like, what is happening? We're in the middle of a zombie apocalypse, Catwoman. What are you talking about? And so she's like exercising her own inner demons on Creel the end of it, Creel dies because, spoiler, her other son that she zombified was still aware enough to know that she was bad and he needed to stop her. So he kills her. And Catwoman's like, no! And he's like, finish it. He points to, like, the elixir. And she's like, oh, okay. And so now, at the end, everything's better. We cut to the hospital scene where the woman who supposedly died from the zombies is fine, and it's sort of implied that Catwoman used the Lazarus pit stuff on her. She leaves a little box and she says, To Carlos Ayala from a mysterious stranger. And it's like, <laughs> I feel like this has been hitting me in the face with bluntness this whole time. I'm like, please stop. <laughs> but yeah, so she just left a box and it was like her mask that was broken, which, okay, just throw that away then. But she's like, here's my broken mask, you know, thanks for everything, take care of her for me. And I was thinking, her sister? Did she just ditch her sister with this guy? (laughs) Oh, that's so awful. (laughs) Thanks for everything. Take care of her. Bye. But no, she didn't. She took her sister with her. The ending page is really nice. It's her, like, looking over at her sister as they drive in a convertible and saying, do you like this song? And her sister's like, yeah. She goes, I'm going to turn it up then. And it's like this nice moment because, you know, she's been wanting some more interaction with her sister. And for her sister to speak. Yeah, well, her sister has spoken, like, a few words here or there. 
but you don't really know how much she's getting. So this was just a nice moment between sisters, like a calm before the storm scene. I loved that last page. I loved the art of the flashback. I loved that this is over. <laughs> so is this Catwoman run just done? No, so it said that it was going to continue in the 80th anniversary that's okay. coming out. It left on a really sad note because you wanted Catwoman to kind of have some sort of closure herself because in many ways Creel is like, you wanted to see her as a foil. You wanted to see her as sort of like something that Catwoman is not or something that Catwoman doesn't want to be and sort of see Catwoman work out her inner demons in that way. But none of that happens. It's just a rich, pompous, evil politician for Catwoman to lose to constantly and then at the very end be like, oh, and watch as someone else kills her and then go, okay, I'm leaving. This was terrible. And nothing really happened from this whole run. It was completely a waste. It just seemed like, especially the way that it ended, if she was just going to march up the Creel, she could have done that back in issue like three or four. And we could have had other adventures in California or going back to Gotham or whatever. Yeah. For me, I'm able to fly through these Catwoman comics in like four or five minutes. I don't know what it is, but they just seem like a very fast read. That's because there's no substance. There's nothing to read into. There's no deeper meaning in anything that happens. And they try to make it deep by giving her these monologues at the beginning every time. And they're not deep monologues. I think last week's was better than this week's. But then they tried to like bring it home by being like, look at my past. But her past didn't really matter. It had nothing to do with the story. I mean, you can say, oh, well, Creel like basically cannibalized her family for her own purposes. Catwoman just, she wants a family and she wants love and... She wants to find fulfillment in family, which is weird. It's weird to hear from her, especially from someone who's been a loner for so long and who left. Like at the beginning of the whole thing, she was like, how did I get here? You know, <laughs> I had the man I loved. I had a diamond. Okay, you know what? This is a weird realization to have at the 11th hour. I don't know. Anyways, the whole thing like didn't fit anything that came before it. It was very odd. And I'm ready to move on. Just like everyone who worked on this comic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll bring it over to Mr. Positive. You got anything to say about The Flash? So I did Flash number 751 with writer amazing Joshua Williamson. And the artist was Christian Deuce? Douche? I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> pronounce your last name. <laughs> I, I would say Deuce would be more likely. Why would you jump I'm gonna to go with... Why would you do that? Listen, I don't know. Just say D-U-C. I'm just going to call him Christian. Christian D. Because that's his first name. Go for it. And I would like to think that we're friends. <laughs> but anyway... The new villain Paradox wants to ruin the Flash for creating Flashpoint and basically creating Paradox because he had a wife, he had a kids and everything. And because he wants to try and get the Flash to create another crisis so he can absorb that crisis energy that happens with each event in order to become a god within the multiverse. I did not have anything I disliked about this comic. I loved seeing Captain Cold again. He had a contingency plan. He showed up as a hologram in the new Speed Lab. He did have a plan for Paradox, just in case in the event of temporal anomalies after his death. You also got to see Godspeed playing a double agent against Paradox when in the last issue, he was following all Paradox's orders to destroy the Flash. 
So it was really good to see him trying to convince Barry. He's like, see, I told you, you can trust me. I'm on your side here. Those of you who don't know about Godspeed, he was Barry's like partner in the CCPD for a while. And then he had a horrible accident. That's as much as I know, because I wasn't reading The Flash at the time Godspeed was alive. Anyway, what really interests me for the next issue is that Paradox was fighting Barry left and right, saying that he is the cause for all these bad things that have happened. But why is he considered a legend? Why is he the thing that myths are made out of? He's like, because you died. Because you're a martyr. Like, bringing up Crisis of Infinite Earths, bringing uh. up all these other different events, just saying, like, these were the only things you did. Honestly, it reminded me of a line that Batman said to Superman during Infinite Crisis, where he's like, the last time that you inspired people was when you died. Paradox told Barry pretty much the same thing, saying that you were better off dead. So he zaps Barry, and then Barry ends up in, like, this peaceful-looking place, and his mom is there. And then that's oh how gosh. the comic ends. Oh okay, gosh. Paradox, I love those dialogues where the villain just throws everything at the hero and plays devil's advocate with everything. It's just like everything the hero has done, everything that their foundation, the villain just took the rug out from underneath them and said, have fun as you fall all the way down. I cannot wait for the next issue. <laughs> But yeah, it was intense. Is Barry dead? We don't know. It's like thinking about him, like, there's no way. There's no way he's dead. I feel like <laughs> because Paradox has like these weird type of like powers, maybe he just zapped him into some like temporal like plane or something like that. That this vision of Barry's mom is going to give him enough hope that he's going to run into the speed force, break out of it, defeat Paradox, and everything's back to how it was. It's like usual for Barry. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to jump right into Hawkman number 22, written by Robert Venditti, and the artist was Fernando Passerin. So Hawkman, the Adam, Ray Palmer, and Adam Strange are doing what they can to cure Carter of this dark multiverse virus, which has had Sky Tyrant which is Hawkman's former life on Earth-3, taking over Carter Hall's body for eh, a good past seven or eight issues now. He's been infected from the Batman who laughs. They have him caught. He's in a cell. They're trying to find a way to cure him. They have this thing that they think might be a key to this whole multiverse thing. They're trying to hack it. At the same time, what I thought was cool, which I had no idea, Hawkwoman, who is... Uh, Shaira of Thanagar, which is completely separate from Kendra Saunders' Hawkgirl from Justice League. Two different Hawkgirl lives living at the same time. A little bit confusing. Hawkwoman doesn't have all her memories. She doesn't know that her and Carter are linked together. She knows that they have a connection. She's not exactly sure how. She is trying to unlock this whole key thing. Adam Strange, being the archaeologist, is looking into these old books, which I also thought was interesting. This journal that he's looking through is from Kate Arthul, which was another one of Carter's past lives. And Adam Strange has been looking up to this archaeologist ever since he discovered Rand. So Hawkwoman starts hearing this key speaking to her. And then she goes to touch it, then boom, she has all her memories now. While this is all going on, Sky Tyrant, who's in his cell, is looking at all this. And he's watching her gain all her memories back. He's like, yeah, that looks like it hurts. You're enjoying yourself, aren't you? But there's things missing. 
I know that there's things missing because Carter is missing some things and he only just got back all those memories too. Mm -hmm. And so he's like trying to bribe her into saying, I can give you all those missing pieces. Hawkwoman is upset that Carter never told her about her past life. Through this entire time that Sky Tyrant has been in possession of Carter's body, you see kind of like a mental image of Carter, like talking to Sky Tyrant mentally because he's just in his head right now. He sees Shaira being so frustrated with Carter and he's basically saying, I've written down every life, every adventure, every discovery because I wanted to show it to you. I've been waiting for these moments to show you how we're connected. So sweet. So sad. He got robbed. And he couldn't even tell her because she can't hear inside Sky oh, Tyrant's no. mind. These two really are the epitome of tragic Starcross lovers. When they got hit with the bad luck stick, they got hit they got hard. hard. <laughs> Especially because they're just going to continue to reincarnate until they repent for all the lives that they have killed. Wait, was that what it was? This is the origin that came about in this Hawkman run. Which issue? This was like issue 10 or 11. I'm still reading it then. How did I not catch that? I don't know, but yeah, basically the origin of them reincarnating, it's a way for them to repent for all the people that they have killed in their lives during this great first war during the first life. Oh, the first life only. And, you know, throughout all these other reincarnated lives that they've had, they've killed other people. <laughs> and so that just kind of adds on to the tally. Oh, that sucks. And so... Sky Tyrant being considered one of these lives. Sky Tyrant's from Earth 3, where everything is the opposite. Everything that's good is bad. Everything that's bad is good. He tells Hawkwoman about this. He tells Shair because Shair asked him, he's like, was I just as bad as you? He's like, yeah, you love smashing those brains. Okay. You gotta think she would be worse. He tells her how he did the same thing to her as what she did to people on Earth 3. So he killed their hawk woman. Did he say why? In her sleep. Because he knew that one day she would kill him. I mean, that's fair. So Jair is upset that Carter never told her about them being connected. Sky Tyrant is trying to get out of his cell. And Carter starts to take possession a little bit of his body again. He actually throws Sky Tyrant against a wall. Mentally. So it basically looks like he's just jumping into a wall. So Shaira thinks it's Carter gaining consciousness back. She opens up the cell. Sky Tyrant gets his mace and breaches a hole in the ship. Because they're in outer space. Adam Strange and Ray Palmer get this alert. So then they cover the breach and that's how it ends. Sky Tyrant is standing over her with the mace as Carter is also struggling with Sky Tyrant for a control of his Honestly, body. That sounds like a really good issue. It is so good. I've been loving this Hawkman comic so much. <laughs> it was also kind of funny that you have Ray Palmer, the Adam, and Adam Strange on this ship in the last issue. Shiera calls for Adam and both of them are like, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna go for Brian Hill now. Here's the thing, like I don't have an emotional reaction to Brian Hill where I'm like, that Brian Hill, and like shake my finger at the sky. <laughs> He's definitely annoying. Oh, ouch. <laughs> I used to like him too. I was one of those people who's like, hey, keep him on detective. He knows what he's doing. Didn't you just say in the, like, the last episode we discussed Batman and the Outsiders how he's the only one that writes Cass good? Okay, Cass said like two things in this. So I'm not going <laughs> to say it's hard to write Cass. But I mean, it, it, I guess it is. Because like, it is hard to write characters who don't speak. And yeah, she's always in character with him. Which, you know, if I was tunnel-sided, I just cared about my faves. 
I would be like, yeah, I get it. Especially after certain <laughs> films couldn't seem to get even in the ballpark of Cass in their depictions of her. But um, no, he's, he's doing great with Cass. It's just everything else he's failing at. So let's get into it. And let's talk about Dexter Soy, the artist. It's okay. His art's okay. It's sketchy and it... How do I say this? There's like no... It's all... It's wrong. Like the way... Which is it? Is it okay or is it wrong? Okay, te- from a technical level, the way he draws people. They're rendered in a sketchy way that is non-offensive to the eyes. However, based on the context of what is happening at any given moment, they seem to be doing the wrong thing. There's one scene where they're all lined up like it's a freaking anime fight. They're all facing each other off. And there's the bad guys and the good guys. And Katana says, pick your opponent. And there go... <laughs> Thank you, Asian stereotype. Let's do that. Mortal Kombat. And she... I mean, it definitely did have a Street Fighter vibe. And they start sounding off. Like, I choose that guy. I call that guy. And the the bad guys are just waiting there. Like, they're action poses, but they're just, like, letting him talk. I'm like, okay, well, that's stupid. And then Cass, of course, goes, hmm. Which I'm like, same, Cass. Same. And then... (laughs) They're gonna, like, run into each other, like, two opposite sides of a football team now, right? No, they start mocking each other. They're all standing in front of each other, and it's like they're about to start singing. They're just like... Is this West Side Story? They're just going to start breaking out? They're just all snapping at each other. (laughs) Black Lightning says something like... I forget who he was talking to. It's a guy who looked like Evil Hawkman. Karma, I think? I didn't write down their names, but they all blend together in my head. There's like one guy who sells weapons, and then there's another guy who can decide your moves ahead of time, and then there's that guy who has the funny-looking mask. So he says to funny-looking mask guy, You killed her! And he goes, Of course I did. Katana says something to this other guy like, You're a traitor! And he's like, Yeah. He's like, I'm an opportunist. Gosh, it was so stupid. Uh. And then they keep talking through the whole battle, too. Like, once they start fighting, Katana's like, I've always hated you. I hate your opportunistic mindset. I hate your lack of discipline. I hate your stupid hair. This doesn't sound like the Katana that I thought we were getting. This sounds really weird. Oh, so Shiva, she's there on the good guy side, right? Despite, like, coming for them from Raish. And then they all start fighting. And she, I wish I could do it for you right now. She's standing with her back to them, her butt out, slightly bent, like she lost a contact while they're all fighting. And I'm like, what are you doing? (laughs) She just kind of, like, bent down. It was a very weird pose. But, like, her feet are far apart and she's just kind of, like, looking in the wrong direction. Like, she doesn't know where the fight is happening. And this is one of the, the things I'm saying with the artist, where it's just like, what were you going for? Because... I don't understand. <laughs> What's his name is like, are you going to help? And she said, all you had to do was ask. And she like looks over her shoulder at him and they're all fighting and like they're telling each other their moves in front of their enemies. Like, okay, so now distract him and I'll do this. And it's like, he's not going to be distracted if he knows what you're doing. What are you doing? They're still in video game land where they think the video game characters can't hear them. But they're all just like fighting in stupid ways. And think you're chatting in your group, but you're actually in the team chat. Yes, that is exactly what I was thinking. It was very silly. Yeah, they fight, and then we've been cutting back and forth from Batman and his new ingenue. Girl with superpowers whose family died. She's the MacGuffin of the series. She's over in the Batcave with Batman. 
Where she's like, where are we? And he goes, it's not about where we are. It's about what you will become. And I'm just like, for crying out loud. <laughs> what sort of a stupid answer is that? And then he goes, this is reclaimed property from the Court of Owls. And he shows her some weapons. She's like, what does Ra's al Ghul want? He's like, he didn't want to destroy you. He wanted to mold you. And I'm like, yeah, th- we know. He has a plan, same as me, to see our vision come true or whatever. It's just all this cryptic uh, melodrama. Oh my god, all these lines sound like the wheel of bad villain lines. Spin, 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 spin. Really and that's what it we all sounds on. like canned. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, it's just ugh. Mortal Kombat versus DC Universe two. <laughs> yeah, and like a lot of the facial expressions were just kind of blank. Yeah, it's supposed to be so much emotion behind it, but the faces yeah. just do not. Or like show Cass it. is looking up at her mom, and her mom looks down and goes, I "Don't like that you became one of Batman's birds, but I am proud of you, and because I love you, I will fight with you." But her face is like blank and emotionless, <laughs> and Cass's is blank and emotionless. So lots of that kind of stuff, where it's just kind of like, "I made this before we made the dialogue, and then the dialogue was just kind of pasted on top to kind of say what's happening." I guess. I did like that now we do have a clear distinction of Duke and Cass's relationship. He does call her sis when they're fighting, which was helpful because, like, people were like... It was a nice break away from the parallel relationships between Black Lightning and Katana. Which I still don't like because her husband is right there. Yeah, he's in the sword, but he is right there. You do not hit on a married woman. Leave her alone. And he's not hitting on her, but everyone else is hitting on her for him. They're all his wingman. But yeah, it was nice to see Cass and Duke's relationship kind of... Defined. I like that dynamic. They do need each other, mm-hmm. and it, it's nice to have people rely on each other without like, well, boys and girls can't get along unless they're fucking. <laughs> I mean, nobody says it, but that's how the writers write it so often. I mean, there were times when I thought like him and Stephanie were just being really platonic and good together, but nope, they weren't. They were. <laughs> I've awoken the muse. <laughs> I have a lot to say about that, but that's also because of shipping reasons. But I like. (laughs) Breathe. Uh, Breathe through the pain. I don't necessarily have my own ships for a cast, but I don't think about them because I know they're not going to happen. Nope. And it's alright. I'm just going to be happy if she's portrayed in a correct way to her character. Good way that develops her as a person. All my ships have happened because I'm unoriginal. Well, listen, I like her with Khan, but I uh, like it because they did that really cute... That one issue? Uh, that one issue where they just got along so well. Was it two? Two issues, sorry. Oh, it was two, two little... But yeah, the chemistry in that was amazing. That was cute. <laughs> no, I was really excited that girl and Signal weren't a couple because it was weird. The chemistry doesn't go like that, you know what I mean? Like, it's very much like Signal's damaged and he needs somebody and Batgirl... Especially now with this gift from yeah, uh, Lex really with hard. this new power. I don't know much about what's going on with Signal, like, at all, but based off what you're talking about. So, Signal's essentially the Tim replacement in this universe when it comes to the Bat family relationships. I guess so, if you want to call Tim angsty mix angst, which I guess I have in the past. But Signal is, like, a little angsty boy, and they're like, you're the, bro- you're the like, the light of the group, and it's like, he is not. I mean, his superpower is to shoot light, but he's a sad boy. Yeah, and now he shoots darkness, and he's just like, ah, shoot dark. And Batman's like, don't use your powers, it's scary. I don't know. <laughs> 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 
I may be paraphrasing <laughs> wrong, but <laughs> he was just like, like, I don't get why everyone's throwing a fit. I'm with Rache, it's cooler. <laughs> why not? I mean, I get that, like, Lex's gifts are bad, but he doesn't know that. <laughs> All he knows is he can fight with his power, make it super dark. He can be basically like Cloak and Dagger, except it's like Cloak and Ninja. It works. He covers this one guy who, like, can, he knows what's going to happen. Kind of like Deathstroke. Yeah. Now I'm thinking about it. And Ravager. It's that pre-cognitive yeah, exactly. ability. And so, like, Signal just coats him in darkness and Cass runs in and kicks him in the face, you know? Which she wasn't able to land a blow when he could see. So, good job, Signal. You did it. You contributed. But he's just so sad all the time. And it's nice to have him and Batgirl getting along because he doesn't say, Oh, Cass, you're my only friend. Thank you so much for being there for me. But it is deeply implied <laughs> that... <laughs> She's all he has, and she's, like, fiercely protective of him, but it's not like, wow, those two will make a really healthy relationship romantically. It's kind of like those stories from the Dodo, when you see, like, a really sad, like, this dog was beaten all his life. He was found on the side of a road. Look how this small cat takes care of him. You see, like, the fireworks going off outside, and the cat's sitting on his head. It's like, they're there. That's what they're like. She is his therapy cat anyways the pinnacle of this whole series for me was that moment where she like goes to rescue him because she with reckless abandon just ran in headfirst to save him and he was so happy to see her and he needs so much help and she's able to give it to him I, this is a long way of saying like i didn't like the twin coupling of two super powered dudes with two ninja ladies like how they were setting up katana with black lightning and how signal was being paired up with Cass. Like, I thought it was going to be really boring, like, mirroring, but it seems like he's at least trying to give them each separate personalities <laughs> and different relationship dynamics to match. So there wasn't a lot of relationship building in this one. It was very simple. It was very, very canned. Everything was done in someone's sleep. It was very boring. Would not recommend, but it's good to keep up with them and see if anything does change. Like I said, this is one of the slower moving series. Like, we've done 11 of these and an annual. And so it's been sort of dragging its feet. And I am just tired of it, but I'm not upset. <laughs> I'm just sort of bored. And like another series that's dragging its darn feet that we're very much upset yeah. with. Talking about Batgirl's potential love interests. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I don't ship them. Actually, nobody ships Khan with the same people in this group. Nope. Nope. <laughs> we will never. It's fine. Joe's the only really one care. with a actually very canon ship. Yours, yours is canon, but sadly got nixed very early on. That's in someone else's fault. Yeah. And it was. And mine will never happen. <laughs> never happen. I don't know. Give it 10 years. Okay. So here's me just speculating before we jump into this issue and just mostly a rant about Young Justice in a bit. But I'm looking at the list for the Robin writers for the 80th. And of course, we have Tomasi, who's obviously going to do something on Damien because he loves Damien. Chuck Dixon is coming in. That and Gromit, who were the writer and the artist for the Robin run. So I'm pretty certain we're going to get a Tim Drake story that's going to be very that 9080s style. And I'm like, yes. But Tinian's also writing. And I'm like, what is he going to do? A lot of these are either in canon stories. And sometimes they can just say, screw it. I'm going to write whatever I want because I can just say it's not canon. And I'm like, Tinian, I know you want to write it. 
I know you want to write it. And there's a lot of fans that would scream and love you for it. And then you'd be like, it's not canon, except in this random universe. That doesn't matter. And it's just all Are in my head. Are you talking about Tim Con? I am. He would if he wanted to. Because Tinian has already said multiple times that he ships them. And it's the funniest darn thing. But I don't know what he's writing. Can you imagine if you got Marcus Toad? Unfortunately, Marcus Toad's not in this book. And I'm so sad. But, alas. <laughs> But I can hope, and that's fine you if my hopes hope. if my hopes are dashed because it's never going to happen. I'm just hope Corgi over here, hoping fictionally, because <laughs> I don't exist anyways. Okay, Young Justice, take a deep breath, cleansing breath, think of your happy place, and who wants and to then s- scream. <laughs> All right. Let's get into Young Justice 14. Of course, like we mentioned before, Young Justice is written by Brian Michael Bendis and apparently also David F. Walker. I don't know who this person is. They might have co-written with things. I think he may have co-written the past couple issues. Oh, that, that might be was it. In. He might have been kind of like his warlord consultant, which is pointless. I mean, they did get the original artist for the warlord uh, flashback. That was cool. That was really cool. But um, the warlord flashback art this time was. Yeah, that new guy, Michael Avon Oming. The difference between Tim's art and then Oming's, Tim's kind of reminds me weirdly like of an anime style with how things are, and then Oming's over Art's face. I don't know if it's because he's supposed to be zipping around and moving really quickly, but his eyes and face proportions, he looks a little not human. I think I made this reference once before, but it really reminded me of the drastic difference in the No Justice event between Marcus Toe and Riley Rossmo uh, writing the same yeah. issue. It was that drastic it of a difference. It just didn't work. It was really awkward. Oh, he looks like, what's that anime? My Hero Academia. That guy who like can't see out of his eyes. He has like little, like threes. You know how sometimes in anime they do that where they like draw like little threes for their eyes? Oh, yeah. He's got like these little puffy eyes from the side where they're just like, it just doesn't look humanly proportional. It's very strange. It really is. And I wish they had used the original artist that did the Warlord bit because Oming's art looked really angular and mm-hmm. awkward. The Dorito meme for Captain America, Connor was a Dorito. Mm. Same with like, the weird samurai guy. He looked like a Dorito. They're really going for this very 90s Cartoon Network sort of look but without the consistency. Yeah, really without that consistency. And haven't even gotten to the plot guys we're just harping on the artist right now and i think that's about it on the artist the entire plot of this was bart collecting new people to join the team the last issue ended with bart and this new young justice calling themselves the real young justice already at the location in new mexico bart grabbed them to be like hey you're joining young justice that whole text bubble of like we're the real young justice was unnecessary and misleading it spends so many pages of Bart zipping around collecting these new members. I'm gonna give into some props. He grabbed Sideways out of nowhere and used him appropriately because Bart said, I can't do this without you because yeah, I can zip around, but it's gonna waste time. So he was using Sideways' portals to go and grab the rest of the members. Hmm. Congratulations, you did us smart. But that was it. And as they meet, all of a sudden, monsters from portals in the sky start showing up. No transition there. Bart goes to the Star Labs facility and Speed Force runs his way through somehow and gets the information. But they don't actually know where they're at. Like, he never communicates like, oh, they're at this world. Let's go there. 
That thing made me laugh, though, because clearly the computers at Star Labs are working as fast as the computers at Sanctuary during Heroes in Crisis. For a speedster to be able to get this information at super speed on a regular working computer. They really quickly rush in, knock out the bad guy that's poking Connor with a kryptonite double-bladed sword, and leave through the portal. Hooray. That was the issue. That was it. And it required an entire issue to talk about Bart collecting everyone then again it did take them two issues just to plan what they were going to do you kind of feel bad for warlord because he just kind of gets left behind (laughs) he's like okay thanks guys what was the point of him being there like there was (sighs) it was more of that crappy dialogue too at the end that bendis does where he's like did i remember to tell him about how the story ends yeah i did but i didn't tell him about the shield it's like is this necessary no i don't think it is But Dr. Glory, who's this scientist that's pretty much been out for Connor since Connor's flashback. The last Earth. When he runs into the Star Labs facility, her plot to ruin Connor makes no sense. Like, why is she going to all these lengths to find the one realm that has magic kryptonite to stick him in? What did he do that upset her so much? He ruined her laboratory in the last Earth. That's what she said. It's such a petty reason. Lady. And she goes to all these stupid lengths. And it requires... Okay, let's see. Um, We have both the Wonder Twins. Both the Dial H people. We have Naomi. We have Drake. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Jenny Hack. Teen Lantern. Aqualad. Sideways. Spoiler. Sissy. Am I missing anyone? The Monkey. That's like 14 to 15 people required to go get Connor. What? When all it needed was use Intel to find out where Connor is and use Sideways' dimensional abilities to hop an appropriate party to go rescue Connor. And it has taken us at least six issues. It took two issues for them to figure out where they were going. So I think Connor got taken in issue 10. About four issues. Yeah, three or four. That's a long time. And all of it was just random character collecting. What is this, Pokemon? Yeah, it's Bendis. I mean, and it makes sense, too, because even in the hands of better writers, a lot of times the teams get assembled sort of ridiculously. It's just around what the writer wants to use. Some of them weren't even necessary. So, like, as Bart is wrestling up all these people, in the last issue, he already had Aqualad spoiler and sideways with him Mm -hmm. at the New Mexico base. In this issue, Tim and the others get there first. But Tim was on the phone with Bart, and Bart's like, we're already here! Also, I completely forgot, (laughs) Sissy King-Jones making a return from uh, the 90s. A little happy about that. (laughs) Bart introducing her to the team. This is Sissy King-Jones from the 90s. We are happy and very confused, because again... How does everybody know about Impulse and Wonder Girl and Young Justice? But not everybody knows about Impulse and Young Justice. So if we are to assume that Bart and Connor are from pre-Flashpoint, how does Sissy King Jones of this Earth remember Bart and being a part of Young Justice and retiring as Arrowhead? I would say Bendis magic, but I skimmed through it and the ending is promising they're going to tell us. Ha! We'll get to that. (laughs) 
But also the fact of, again, like, if Young Justice has been around, but this is also the first time that they're appearing, how is this yeah. a part of it? Along with, again, like, that last issue ending with Aqualad calling themselves the real Young Justice. So it's sort of a hobbled version of the two different versions of this Young Justice. But it's not because Aqualad, Sideways, and Spoiler, and Arrowhead have never worked together. And Sideways even said in the last issue, I have no idea who any of you guys are, but I'm just happy to be included. (laughs) Thank you, Sideways, for your honesty. (laughs) And I understand them in his mind. It made sense to grab Sissy when it came to O'Connor's in danger. We need the best of the best. Let's grab Sissy. Like, I think right. in a lot of really perilous situations, she has come back, taken up the mantle of Arrowette, but immediately been like, I can't keep doing this long term. Because there have been times where she did do that, but she's also yeah. turned down a lot in these situations when other people mm-hmm. in, like, you know, that main team but were But if she doesn't England. know who Connor is, why would she take up the mantle? It made exactly. sense to use that emotional connection of we need to help connor he's in danger okay i'll come back and help you but like you mentioned there's been other instances where she's like no how does sissy remember connor but superman not remember connor you want to talk about emotional connection certain people know connor and impulse and cassie and young justice and then Mm -hmm. most people don't so confusing bendis can't keep it straight dc continuity outside of bendis can't keep certain things straight apparently well again like they just completely ignore bendis's Mm -hmm. stories don't include the wonder twins they don't include young justice the only one is is action comics so he just includes his own characters and inputs them into these stories that have already happened like i said the only one that we know of that included his works is that panel in justice league and this latest wonder woman issue you think it's just like they're starting to forgive him because <laughs> like, it seemed like everyone was pointedly ignoring him when he first came on but this is also like bendis's fault like bendis is just issues and the editor like the editor should know this is not i've been blaming bendis one for writing all this but two the main problem is the editor because he's not doing his job which is hey you can't do this because it is continuity but i've also heard in different interviews that bendis just doesn't listen to the editor he just doesn't care who's telling this tea i've heard this on a couple different podcasts actually where bendis you know he just creates his own universe so a lot of people are speculating like is it he just ignores the editors and publishes it anyway or is it that the editors just give up because it's bendis done arguing with him at this point that could be it i heard that it's because he brings his own editor whoever will agree with him Mm. but Mm. i mean we've all heard this conflicted information it sounds like it's just a bunch of rumors it's mostly rumors we don't know how much is true or not but from what we can see there's a lot of just lack of communication between the heads of dc the editor and bendis and then the other writers and the other editors like no one's communicating information i wonder if it's because they also don't want to read his stuff but feel like they have to but there's also like in everything very forced character dialogue barely get any character development or anything stand out about each character impulse is just like oh he's the speedster he's gonna talk fast and make funny little references cassie's just kind of supposed to be the front runner leader tim's also weirdly a leader but he's just kind of the tactician dude that's just yeah let's do this and just agrees and he's always on his damn cell phone 
there's always a pose of Tim standing there, kind of sideways with a hip cocked, with a cell phone in his hand, leaning against something. I blame Tim's on this one because that's just his default on... He's like, oh, I'm drawing teenagers? Okay, cell phone time. Like, just a little bit of sass and just like, I'm just gonna chill here. And you're like, that's not really Tim. You can say a lot of these things aren't their actual characterizations. But something I liked and I hated was, spoiler, when she runs back into Tim, she's calling him Robin. She's not calling him Drake because she doesn't know the name change. Thank you. She called him Mr. Something. She did call him Mr. Drake at one point. I was like... (laughs) (laughs) That's even less of a code name. That's his actual name. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But when she was talking to Impulse, she said Robin because she doesn't know about the name change yet because they've apparently tried to contact each other before but keep literally playing phone tag how did she even know about him changing back to robin he was still red robin in his flashback when he left stuff. but in young justice for some odd reason he was actually robin in young justice number one that he's like oh i'm, I'm robin yeah. again because people called him red robin but in his young justice flashback of how he became robin again it didn't actually show how he became robin again but during his road trip with steph he was still red robin i guess it's just easier to call him Robin. I don't know. But she makes fun of Tim's outfit and says, the look's not good on you. And I'm like, thank you, Steph. There's one thing we can agree on. Tim Drake's outfit is ugly. But at the same time, it's just Bendis being aware that we hate his stuff and he's gonna make fun of it by referencing it and not changing it. (laughs) And Dial H always coming in the last minute because they're the most inexperienced because they're like, oh, we don't know what we're doing. Like, uh, excuse me. A, Cassie or Tim should at least be making calls and plays. Like, Cassie okay, is like, let's go, team, front runner. Like, the bruiser in the front that's just like, all eyes on me. And Tim would be like, tacticianing in the back. Why would you leave the newbies just alone by Jenny's truck? There's nothing new in any of these fights. And the fight was solved in a giant two-page spread. And that was it. It was done it usually so is. quickly. Could I get a head count on a future issue? Because I feel like we're past 10 now. We have more than 10 heroes on this team. Connor, Cassie, Bart, Jenny, Tim, Teen Lee. Jenny, oh, Amethyst. Team, Nio- Amethyst, that's right. Amethyst, Naomi, Wonder Twin 1, Wonder Twin 2, The Monkey, Dial H, Dial H, Aqualad, Sissy. Spoiler. Sideways. Spoiler. Sideways. There's a 17, including the monkey. 17, including the monkey. He's just making another Legion of Superheroes. Because Legion of Superheroes is another one that has 300 plus cast and too many voices getting thrown in. Just from what I remember from the first issue, because I didn't really The problem with that. having so many characters is the lack of distinct voices and the fact that things can get bloated. I talked about this last week with Strange Academy. Scotty Young has a good track record of dealing with a big group. Bendis just doesn't have a good track record. His characters right now, even before we started including these new characters after they came back from Gen World, there wasn't really much of a distinction between voices, Mm. to be honest. Impulse was the only Mm. one that kind of had a bit of a voice. Jenny didn't even sound Southern. I'm sorry. I mean, they did the whole, like, I'm this or whatever, but, like, she... Trust me, I've read books that are in the deep South, like Bluest Eye. Make her sound like that. <laughs> also the fact that like Teen Lantern sounded like a regular teen until we got her backstory and then she started throwing yeah. in some Bolivian like, slang. Oh, okay, did you not even think of your her backstory before this? I guess not. Anyways, a really nice little teamwork moment. 
sand become water when aqualad showed up aqualad's like uh i'm in the <laughs> desert guys i'm kind of at a disadvantage i can't do shit uh but seriously why would you bring him in the beginning you didn't even need him he's more of a hindrance because he wasn't being used aside from a very side character in the Aquaman no don't one. bring him <laughs> but at least wonder twins were there to help balance that out I wish there was more moments like that with characters actually interacting and knowing their strengths and weaknesses and being able to cover that because that shows a team and we only got one, one moment. And again, like, I would like to actually see the writer actually know what he's doing and make up his mind from time to time. Because again, at the end of the comic, Dr. Glory gets apprehended and she's like, wait, don't do anything. I'll tell you why you all don't remember each other. I'll tell you what actually happened to Young Justice. But again, how can they all not remember each other? But they do remember each other, and other people remember them, but other people also don't remember them. Which is it? Do they remember each other, or do they not? Do people know Young Justice, or do they not know Young Justice? She just looks directly at the camera and says it, too. Like, she's looking at the reader like, no, 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 don't give up on this. I know this issue sucked, but guess what? (laughs) I have information you want. You can't leave. Since John Timms took over the art back in issue six, Bendis has been putting in the beginning of all the Young Justice comics like, Connor, Barton, Cassie, and Tim have been on a wild ride that they don't even know how they got to each other. And these are questions that we don't even have the answers to yet. Yeah, it's that one page spread that's at the beginning. I just skip it every single time. Bottom line, Young Justice sucks. Yep. Okay, you guys, let's switch to our comic news. We'll be giving you any new information involving comic books, movies, and television shows. So for DC and Marvel, do you want to talk about this one, Joe? Yeah, this is what I was talking about before in part one. Steve Orlando is leaving DC and he's going on to Marvel and Mariko Tamaki is going to replace him as the Wonder Woman writer. Steve Orlando went off to say that he's going to be working on a mini-event featuring Scarlet Witch, Doctor Doom, and the Darkhold in June called Darkhold Alpha Number 1. Darkhold, for people who don't know, I did not know this, is also known as the Book of the Damned, and it's written by this elder god, Kythan. Kythan. I don't know. Cthulhu. (laughs) It looks great. I'm very sad to see him go, though. I'm sure he's going to do great in Marvel. I'm very sad to see him go because his Martian Manhunter run, it was 12-issue miniseries, and it was mm. great. Him and Riley Rossmo did amazing work on that. I wasn't really enjoying his Wonder Woman comic. I don't hate it. I don't dislike it. I'm kind of neutral but positive because the stuff I have been reading from him has been good. So I am really sad to see him go and it's a very shocking turn and people are speculating. It's like, oh, the Diola, Jim Lee's sole publisher now. Who else is going to be jumping ship? Steve Orlando's the first to go. Who's next? Either way, I think it's going to be a really good little mini series. He seems super pumped based off of all of the social media posts. Just all <laughs> smiles. Like, I can't wait to write this. But it sounds interesting and I might pick it up. I like Scarlet Witch and Doctor Doom likes to just mess with things. I remember there was Spider-Man 2099 Alpha number one that came out i picked that up so i don't know if Darkhold alpha has to do with that also it's really hard to stay on top of every single thing but that's <laughs> our job as much and as we can we try <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> joe i'm gonna have you read out next week's dc comics if you don't mind so next week we have a lot more than we had this week 
We have Aquaman number 58. We have Tinian back with Batman number 91. Black Label, we have the Low Low Woods number 4. We have Plunge number 2. We have Deceased Unkillables number 2 from Tom Taylor. We have He-Man and Master of the Multiverse number 5. Justice League 43. We have Nightwing 70, which has an amazing mm. cover. I'm very excited to read this. We have the spectacular Robin 80th Anniversary 100 page number 1 coming out which we are all very excited for with multiple writers and multiple Oh, I'm so pumped. I'm so happy. <laughs> then we have Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen, number nine. We have Teen Titans, number 40. And then we have You're the Villain, Hell Arisen, number four, which is Tinian's last installment of this Hell Arisen miniseries with Ooh. Steve Epting. I didn't know it was four parts. That's nice. Alright, cool. Well, next week we have, it looks like a lot of Marvel comics. Yeah, Marvel exploded. We have Arrow number 9, The Amazing Mary Jane number 6, third issue of Atlantis Attacks miniseries, which is great. Loving Atlantis mm. Attacks. Captain America number 20, don't read it. Number four, Excalibur number nine, which has gotten better. We have Fantastic Four number 20, Guardians of the Galaxy number three, Iron Age 20, number one guessing connects with the whole iron man and uh rescue 2020 stuff yeah the game verse marvel's avengers captain america number one morbius number five outlawed number one which that's the miniseries involving mostly the champions and a bunch of other younger marvel heroes where law that young heroes are banned that's an interesting twist i don't dc or marvel's actually done something like this before hopefully it's executed better than uh Heroes in Crisis, because that also could have been really well, and it wasn't. We have Runaways 31. Uh, we are going to get Spider-Woman number one, Star Wars number four, Valkyrie Jane Foster number nine, and X-Force number nine. Thank you. I'm definitely going to look into Spider-Woman number one. I used to love her back in the day, but um, she's a different person now, so let me mm -hmm. just check on that and see if I like her. I'm definitely picking it up just because I am looking for some more Marvel titles to read. Even though I actually just looked at my chart this morning and I have one issue less of Marvel than I do of DC. So I've picked um, up a lot. started just... reading a lot of the X-Men stuff and that's a ton of titles. Well, it's nice to see you filter through them. I would like a chart of like which ones you dropped and which ones you think are worth pursuing. That'd be fun. I think it would look good, um, especially if you shared it on our social media because I just, I get so lost. That's why I haven't even dipped my toe into most of it. Like X-Men, I can't handle. It's too many people. I just don't even want to look at it. I've been sticking with like really like small things like Black Cat and Mary Jane. They're very like, self-contained. <laughs> yeah, maybe there's a, a pattern there. <laughs> I don't blame you. I used to like mostly self-contained stuff until I started to try and research more and got involved with more of the mainstream thing. Maybe when I have time someday. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Let us know which comic you want us to cover next week and make sure to stay up to date with our latest episodes by subscribing to the podcast on Anchor, Apple, Google, Spotify, and anywhere else you may listen to your podcasts. And let us know how tired you are of hearing about Bendis. Shut up! <laughs>